0: Welcome to the Graceway Sermon Cast. Graceway is a Baptist church located in Lexington, Kentucky. We have a heart for God and a deep love for people. You can learn more about our church by visiting www.gracewaylex.org. Now, here's this week's message. I invite you this morning, if you would, if you have a Bible with you or if you have a Bible uh, on you... On, the, on your phone or something like that, turn in your Bible or turn on your Bible to Acts chapter 16, Acts chapter 16. Um, Acts is the only book of history that we find in the New Testament. There are several books of history in the Old Testament, but in the New Testament, Acts is the only book that we have of the history of the church, how it formed, uh, how, uh, what went on in the first days, the first early days of the church. And This passage that we read this morning was written from a first-person position. Some of the history in the book of Acts is written from a third-person position, but this one is written in a first-person position, uh, which tells us that Luke was actually there for a lot of the events that we're going to be looking at today. And this is a fantastic and miraculous story. Many of you probably have already heard this story. You feel like, I know this story. Uh, I've heard this story many times. I've preached on it before. But today, I, I can tell you, I'm coming at it from a completely, totally different angle than I've ever preached from it before uh, today. Um, this is the 3rd Third message in our series, and we've been focusing, like I said, on the importance of evangelism, on the importance of sharing the gospel with those who don't know it. Statistics tell us, and we know this in our heart, we don't have to look very far to understand that this is true. Statistics tell us that the majority of people in this world do not know Christ and are in desperate need of the gospel message. I would venture to say, too, uh, Reverend, the late Reverend Billy Graham said, and he speculated, that it's quite possible that even in our churches today in America, 50% of our churches could possibly still not know Jesus Christ as their Savior. They know a form of religion, but they don't know the true power yet. They know a religion. They're following something else, but they have not come to Jesus Christ. I pray that that's not the case at Graceway. I pray every day that that's not the case. But that is ultimately a personal decision that we have to come to in a personal relationship that we have to come to with Jesus Christ today. So, so far in our series, the past couple of weeks, we've been looking at the need for the church to take the gospel far and wide, that we can't just gather together on a, on a weekly basis and sit and raise hands and sing praises and thank God that we're saved. We need to take that salvation and that message that's radically changed us. We need to take that out into the communities that we live in, into the highways and into the hedges as as well. Today, we're shifting gears a little bit to go from the need of the gospel message to go forth, to talk about the actual power of this gospel message that we have. Okay, when it comes to winning our world for Jesus Christ, we're not just trying to convince them to come to round to our way of thinking. We are taking them a message that has power. It's not just a message that is a cool story. It is a message that is living and breathing and it has the power to change lives. It has the power to turn the world upside down or in God's eyes, right side up. It is power. And that's what we're gonna be looking at and talking about today. The gospel changes lives. Do you believe? We have to believe that. The gospel changes lives. I believe the gospel changes everything. And we have a very sometimes just minuscule view of the gospel and what it really is. The gospel, I would say, is even more than just me getting to heaven. The gospel is about changing not only my eternity, but my life now and changing the world around me as well. That's the message that we have. That's the message that we possess. And that's the church, that's the message church that we've been commissioned to share in any way that we possibly can. So why is it so important then to take this message into all the world? Is it just because Jesus said so? We know in Matthew chapter 28 that he said, go into all the world and preach the gospel. We know in Mark chapter 16 that he said to go and preach the gospel to every creature. We know that we're supposed to do it. So why do eight out of 10 Christians in America still not do it? I believe it's because we don't understand the power that we possess in this message That this message is more powerful than our ability to present it. This message is more powerful than our energy to go forth with it. This message on its own can stand on its own. If if it was only because Jesus told us to take the gospel, that would be reason enough. And statistically, 8 out of 10 of us are not obeying that command from our Savior. But it's not just because Jesus said so. That's one great reason, but we also must take the message because it's vital. The world that we live in today is broken and is fallen, and it vitally needs the gospel. It's, it's only hope. We take the message because of the power that it has, and we also take the message simply because it's good news. It's good news that I have that I'm born in my, de- my dead in my trespasses and sins. But the good news is that Jesus paid the price so that I could live with Him forever, and so that He would be with me everywhere in my life. It's good news. Sometimes the way we preach the gospel doesn't make it sound like it's good news. We'll deliver it through a guilt trip or through judgment or through, or through barred teeth. But church, the gospel is good news. Do you remember the day? Do you remember the moment that you finally said, I want Jesus as my savior? And he said, come on. He didn't say, hold on, let's make sure you take care of a couple of things. He said, trust me. Trust me. I've taken care of all of it. Trust me. You see, the gospel not only meets those needs, but it meets our most basic and our most common need that we all have. The gospel is so good, such good news, and I believe it's good news to anyone who hears it because we all have the same basic and common need. We have a common need of being sinners in need of a Savior. We are hopeless in need of hope. Every one of us are born that way with the sin nature, the Bible tells us. So as a church, if we truly believe that, we should not be able to rest until we know that the world around us also knows the hope and peace that we know. If we say that God is love and we are to love like he does, then how can we say we love others yet hold back the greatest message they could ever hear? You see, it meets our most basic and our common need. That's why it's so important that the gospel goes forward. And in life, we all have some basic needs, don't we? We all have basic needs in our lives. Anybody in here need food? Out there there in cyberspace, you need food? Some of you are probably eating food right now, watching virtually. I'm really jealous of that. I'm going to bring my cinnamon roll in here and coffee and have that while while I'm having service. That would make service a lot better, wouldn't it? Right? We need food, right? We need clothing, right? Some of you may say, I don't need it, but everybody else says you need it. Trust me, we all agree. Everybody needs clothing, right? We also need shelter. We need a roof over our heads. We want to have warmth on cold nights. We want to have cool air when it's hot outside. We're just, we just seek for comfort and protection. And when it all comes down to it is we all want safety. We all want to feel secure. And ultimately, we strive for safety and security in our lives in three basic areas. We want to know that we're secure and safe on the outside. That's all the things that happen around us. So we want to feel like we live in an environment that is not going to harm us, that is not going to attack us. So what do we do? Especially especially when, uh, when our kids are younger, we put helmets on them and pads on them. And it looks like they look like medieval, uh, medieval jousters when they ride the bike for the first time because they're covered in pads and helmets and elbow guards and all that stuff. And, you know, they took away all the fun and playground equipment. You, you guys remember the metal slides? You remember those? If you went down in a pair of shorts, you needed a skin graft after that. You're not allowed to have those anymore because they're just not safe, Right. So we, we seek for safety in our lives. We put outlet plugs, and a lot of, a lot of people in our church understand this now. They put outlet plugs, and they put, they put pads on the corners of everything, and we just make sure that everything is as safe as possible. We buy our cars based upon having good safety ratings. We want to live in neighborhoods that are safe. We want to live in apartment complexes that are safe. So we put security systems, or we, live, we try, we seek to, if we ever can, live in a gated community just to know and feel like we're safe. We want safety and security on the outside in our environment. We want to know that we're sending our kids off to safe schools. We want to know that when we go to the workplace, it's safe and it's secure. But we also want safety on the inside. See, feeling safe on the outside leads to a little bit of safety on the inside. That's our mental and our emotional security. If things don't feel safe, it begins to mess with us and we suffer from anxiety or from depression or fear and we can't cope with those things. And so if we don't feel secure on the outside, we will then, our safety and our security on the inside begins to get messed up. But there's another place that we oftentimes don't think about seeking for safety and security and that is above. Ultimately, when life is reaching its end, we all have to come to a reckoning, have I made peace with God? Have I made peace with him? Think about the news that we got of, the, of Terrence Clark who lost his life this week. My first prayer was that he had had peace with God. Security in Jesus Christ. We seek for safety and security and we seek for all those things in life, the food, the clothing, the shelter and luxury and all those things in life. But when it ultimately comes down to it, when life begins to fade away, what we want to know is that I have peace above me. I have security above me. And the reality is no matter how much we try to secure it, no matter how much we try to provide for our safety, we understand that the world that we live in is just not a safe place. It's just not a safe place. And it seems like every day that goes by, it gets more and more and more dangerous because every day there's disasters that is caused by nature, earthquakes, fires, floods, pandemics. We're living through that right now, right? We realize the world we live in, there's just natural disasters that will happen sometimes. There's also disasters that's caused by our health failures. Maybe going to the doctor and finding out that you have a disease or a sickness that cannot be cured or it's going to be a difficult regimen to try to battle that disease. Every day there's disasters in people's lives and in people's worlds. It's caused by crime and hatred and injustice. The things that happen around our world that we're seeing take place so often. On the news. And two, every day there's disasters that are caused just without cause. Sometimes there's just accidents. There's just things that you're going about your day and things just happen the way that they do. I stubbed my toe going to get my coffee this morning. That's just, it just happens, right? Stubbed my toe on a, on a, on a, on a corner. A corner didn't move out in front of me, it's been there the whole time. I've walked past it every morning, but I still stubbed my toe. Right? Some things just happen. And there's some things that we know and that causes us to understand we can try to control the world around us, but the world around us is still going to just do what it does. And so we want to do is we want to know that we have safety. We want to know that we have security in the midst of a world that we know at any moment can come crashing down in a million different ways. How do I live without constantly biting my nails, without constantly living in total fear, always looking over my shoulder, always scared to death? And some here's the thing, I'm probably describing some of you in the way you live right now. Scared of everything, scared to take the next step. And here's why. Because you may desire to have peace in your world, you may desire to have peace in your heart and in your mind, but those things will never come. Your sense of peace will never come to fruition until you have peace with God. Ever. So the big question is, how do I brace myself and how do I find peace in the midst of the constant reality that my world could come crashing down around me at any time? How do I find peace in the middle? Where can I find true and genuine security in this world and in my life? So the story that we're going to look at today, we're going to see the world come crashing down three different times in this passage. The world's going to come crashing down on a group of guys. The world's going to come crashing down on two guys, and the world's going to come crashing down on one guy as well. We're going to see three different worlds crash down. And we're going to see three different responses and how knowing the peace of God makes all the difference in the world. So let's look at it together in our text. In Acts chapter 16, beginning in verse number 16, um, this is Paul and Silas. They're on their missionary journey and they're traveling through and they've come to the city of Philippi. They've met a lady just a couple verses before you'll see that they uh, led a lady named Lydia to the Lord and she's become a believer and she's asked them to stay with her uh, and continue to minister in the city. And the Bible says in verse number 16, once as we were on our way to prayer, which tells us that Luke is also included in in this passage as well, once as we were on our way to prayer. A slave girl met us who had a spirit by which she predicted the future. She made a large profit for her owners by fortune telling. And as she followed Paul and us, as she cried out, these men who are proclaiming to you a way of salvation are the servants of the most high God. So we see that she's possessed by an evil spirit, but yet the evil spirit is proclaiming the truth. Isn't that interesting? You see, Satan can also use the truth. He can also use the truth to get us distracted by what God is trying to do. And that's what was going on here, and I love what happened. She says, she did this for many days in verse number 18, and Paul was greatly annoyed. So what we see is, is this, woman, this, this woman is following behind and just making a spectacle of everywhere they go, taking the attention off of Jesus that they were trying to minister and putting it upon Paul and Silas. And Paul said, no, I will not receive the credit. I need Jesus to be glorified and lifted high. And so the Bible says that what Paul does, he gets annoyed at this, and he says, turning to the Spirit, he said, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her, and it came out of her right away. When her owners realized that their hope of profit was gone, they seized Paul and Silas, they dragged them into the marketplace to the authorities, Bringing them before the chief magistrates, they said, These men are seriously disturbing our city. They are Jews and they <clears throat> excuse me, and they are promoting customs that are not legal for us as Romans to adopt or to practice. So we're going to stop right there. We're going to pick up here in just a second again. But so what we see here is Paul and Silas are in Philippi. They encounter this girl who's been enslaved by two guys, and they are making gobs of money off of her because she's been possessed by a demon that gives her the ability to tell the future. And the thing is, she can't, she's not wrong because they keep getting return customers. So it's attracted a lot of people. They've got a very lucrative business in this girl. And this girl sees Paul and Silas coming and the spirit with inside of her says, we can't be having this. So what does the spirit inside of her begin to do? Begins to try to create this distraction. Begins to try to get people off of Jesus and onto something else. Even if it's onto Paul and Silas. Even, it's on, even if it's on to the people of God, as long as it gets us off the son of God, that's all that matters. And church, I think that's what's happening a lot of times with the church in our country and in our culture today. A lot of people, when they look at the church today, they're mad at the church, they're mad at Christians because we have accepted a, a, we have accepted, uh, a ministry, we have accepted a way of living that takes the focus off of him and puts it on us or puts it on stuff and puts it on things and puts it on a certain way rather than on Jesus Christ, who is the way, the truth, and the life. And so Paul says, this is not gonna happen. He casts the demon out, and all of a sudden, at that very moment, the demon comes out of that girl, the world crashes down for her owners. Because all of a sudden, their gravy train has left the station. They've now lost their sense of security in the money and the lucrative business that they had all of a sudden, because of what Paul and Silas have done, their lives have crashed down. What are they gonna do? So they sought for someone to blame and they found the person to blame in Paul and Silas and they sought retribution and a return to stability. So they argued that they had upset the peaceful flow of society in Philippi and they brought healing to this girl. They set her free, but oh man, they've caused the world to crash down for these oppressors. And so they said, we've got to do something about it. So in fear of their lives, they sought for retribution and they were angry which in turn then leads to Paul and Silas' world crashing down. Pick up in verse number two, uh, 22. The world, or the crowd, joined in the attack against them, and the chief magistrate stripped off their clothes and ordered them to be beaten with rods. After, they had, se- after <clears throat> excuse me, they had severely flogged them, they threw them in jail, ordering the jailer to guard them carefully. Receiving such an order, the jailer put them into the inner prison and secured their feet in the stocks. And about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. So first thing I got to notice out of this is, when you you execute God's justice, it's always going to look unjust to a lost world. It always is. Paul and Silas set this girl free from spiritual oppression and from the oppression of her masters, and it got them landed in jail. Not just in jail, but in maximum security. They're put in the inner cell in the middle of everybody and put in stocks under 24-hour surveillance. And why? Because the slaveholders get the crowd in a frenzy and the only thing that the, the, the authorities can do at that moment to quell the crowd and to quell the, the, just the, all the stuff and the protests that are going on is to put Paul and Silas in jail. They don't even have a legal reason. We're going to find out later on. They don't have a legal reason to put them in jail, but they go ahead and do it anyway just to, just to calm everybody down. And not only do they do that, they put them in like the maximum security place, the, 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 the highest security that they can find. Man, there's so many lessons that we can draw from that. We've got to stay focused on the one that we're trying to point out here. But when prisoners escaped in ancient Rome, or when prisoners were put into prison in ancient Rome, they didn't get out very easily. Their only, hand, their only choice was probably to escape. The legal system took forever sometimes because most of the orders and the edicts had to come from Rome themselves and the empire had, had just spread so far. So Paul and Silas know that by the time they're set free, it's gonna be a while probably. So what happens? The world comes crashing down on Paul and Silas for doing the right thing. We saw the world come crashing down on those slaveholders and we're like... Good, it should have come crashing down on them. They were doing the wrong thing. And good, it should have come crashing down on the demon. They were, it was doing the wrong thing as well. But here we see two guys who were doing the right thing and the world comes crashing down. Sometimes the world comes crashing down even when you're doing everything right. And it's good to know that you have security at that point. How did they respond? Sitting with their feet in stocks, sitting in the inner sanctum of the prison in the most heightened security that you can possibly get, having been beaten with rods, having been stripped of all of their clothes and everything and thrown literally probably clinging to life. What do they do? They begin to pray and they begin to sing to the point where everybody else in the prison heard them. And they begin to glorify God. And then the world comes crashing down a third time. Look at verse number 26. Suddenly there was such a violent earthquake and the foundations of the jail were shaken and immediately all the doors were open and everyone's chains came loose. When the jailer woke up and saw the doors of the prison standing open, he drew his sword and was going to kill himself since he had thought the prisoners had escaped. So this time the world comes crashing down, but it comes crashing down on the warden or on the jailer, the one who had put them in stocks, the one who had made the decision to secure Paul and Silas, just doing his job. He's going about doing what he was told to do by his officers. Maybe not the right thing, but still was doing his job. But when he did this, it caused the world to crash down on him because here comes an earthquake. An earthquake comes... And sets everyone free. And this earthquake is not just a little tremor. This is an earthquake that is strong enough to rattle the bars of the prison open. And rattle the stocks that their feet were locked in open. And everyone was free. All cells had broken loose. All cells had broken loose. And so when the lights finally come back on. He's thinking they're all gone. Now for a jailer back there in the time of Rome. In Roman law it was written that if a Roman guard lost a prisoner, or one escaped, he then was responsible for finishing out the sentence of that prisoner. So if you think there were probably 10 to 15, even 10 to 15 guys in there serving sentences, you mounted all those sentences up on this jailer and he knows his life is gone. So what does he do when his world comes crashing down? He knows there's no other way to get free than to free himself through suicide. So when his world comes crashing down and all the power and all the security that he felt he had in his position, he realized that instead of being on this side of the bars, now for the rest of my life, I'm gonna be on that side of the bars. He said, I'd rather not live that way. And he pulls a sword and he's ready to kill himself. So we see the world come crashing down on three different groups of people in three different ways. And we, three, we see three different responses as well. We see, first of all, angry vengeance from the, from the slaveholders. We see hopeless despair from the jailer. But in Paul and Silas, we see peaceful worship in the midst of the world crashing down. See, one of these is not like the other, right? And what's the difference in how Paul and Silas reacted to their world crashing down compared to how the other guys did? See, Paul and Silas, the difference is that they understood that they were safe in Christ no matter what crashed down around them. The whole time they knew they were safe in Christ. They may not have been comfortable in Christ, but they were safe in Christ. And church, this is something that we have to get used to. Christ doesn't call us to a life of following him in comfort. He calls us to following him in a life of peace and security. Safety is not the same thing as comfort. Safety is knowing whose I am and where I'm headed. Comfort is something that is totally different. So we have to stop viewing God through the lens of God is only good and God is only real and God is only keeping me safe if I'm always comfortable because that's not the promise of God's security and his safety for us. Paul and Silas show show us this. Every apostle eventually being martyred for their faith teaches us this as well. And we can't think that simply because we're 2,021 years removed from that in the United States of America that we are exempt from the same type of things that they went through. It may come a day. And the question is, will you live satisfied in safety and security when all the comfort may leave you? That's tough. That's a tough question. I hope we don't ever have to answer that. I hope we're never put to that test, but it could possibly come. And and we can look around just like the oppressors did, just like the the slaveholders did, and say, well, it's got to be somebody's fault and look for immediate justice, but God never promised constant comfort, ever. Paul and Silas knew this and they trusted God no matter what crashed down around them. The slaveholders trusted in their money, and once it was gone, their world was collo- Their world just turned upside down. The jailer trusted in his power and position, and all of a sudden, it was gone. It turned on him. The system that he had worked to try to secure had now turned on him, and he was going to be a victim of the system. Paul and Silas trusted in God, and God never left them. He was with them all the time. And the security that Paul and Silas had in Jesus became a testimony to the jailer that would eventually set the jailer free from shackles greater than what he could face from the Roman government. Look at verse number 28. But Paul called out in a loud voice, right as the jailer is ready to kill himself, as he has sword in hand looking around thinking, there is no one there, Paul called out in a loud voice, don't harm yourself because all of us are here. Somehow, miraculously, none of, the jail, none, of the, none of those who were in prisoned and freed left. Everyone was still there. The jailer called for the lights and rushed in and fell down trembling before Paul and Silas. He escorted them out of the jail and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? What must I do to be saved? This is the question that we all ask. What 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 do I need to do to be safe? The whole world is asking this question. What must I do to be safe? Do I need a greater security system? Do I need to have do we need to have better gun laws? Do we need to have a stronger military? Do I need to have this? Do I need to have that? How much money do I have to have in my bank account to feel safe? When the question we need to ask is not how can I be safe, it's how can I be saved? What must I do to be saved? Immediately after the light shone on the prison, and he sees that none of the prisoners had escaped, the jailer realizes he escaped death twice. He had survived an earthquake. He had survived a life sentence in prison because no one had left him, and now he wanted to know how to escape eternal death. Now his heart was made glad to the God of Paul and Silas because he had heard their testimony. He had seen their peace in the midst of their world crashing down. He wanted to know that type of peace as well. And in Acts chapter 16, verse number 31, look what it says. They said, Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. You and your household. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. You will be saved. You and your household. Did you notice what he said? What must I do to be saved? Paul responds with, you don't have to do anything except believe. Believe and receive. All the work's been done for you. All the safety, all the security is already there. It's prepped for you. It was bought for you on the cross. It's secured by an almighty sovereign God. You must just believe. And so today I want to look at three things. And I realize that I've taken most of the message time with the introduction. I wanted to do that. And I want to give you three quick points this morning. Three quick things that we have to understand in our search for safety in this world. And understand, church, that this is the same search that our community, our city, our world is on as well. And it applies to, to the world who is lost just as much as it applies to the church who is found. Today, number one, my search for safety must always begin with belief. What Paul says in verse number 31, the very first word he offers is believe. After the man asks the question, what do I need to do? He's desperate. He's ready for God. He's ready for his life to change. He's ready for safety. He's ready for security. He's ready for salvation. Paul says, believe. He doesn't say, do this, 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 and this. He doesn't lay out, well, you need to get clean. He doesn't lay out, well, you need to like, you know, back away from Caesar a little bit and, you know, think things through a little bit and be nicer to the Jewish people. He says, believe. We put so many prerequisites in our mind on people before they can come to Christ. Paul put no prerequisites. He put the same amount of prerequisites that Jesus did. Just believe. Follow me. Believe is the first word of Paul's answer to the jailer. Believe is the first matter of importance when it comes to our salvation. In Hebrews chapter 11, here's what it tells us. Now, without faith, it's impossible to please God since the one who draws near to him must do what? Must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. You see, the first step towards salvation is faith. The first step towards salvation is belief. I have to accept by faith that Jesus is the Savior. Belief is the first step on the pathway to eternal life. John chapter three, verse number 15 says, so that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life if we believe all things are possible. If we believe, it's the key that unlocks the door to Jesus, to salvation. But humanity struggles in placing confidence and faith and belief in anything, don't we? We're a, I got to see it to believe it kind of culture. You got to prove it to me. And even now, the narrative is, if you don't think that science proves everything, then you're ignorant. Ignorant. The Bible says that it is by faith that we are saved. It is by grace through faith that we have salvation. I can't see and I can't prove every aspect of God. I have to accept him by faith and that's how salvation comes through. For some people the the biggest mountain that will step that will stand in the way of salvation will be their need for solid rock solid proof. And the thing is and we know this as we walk by faith and not by sight the only way that our eyes are open to the reality of God is to first believe. Is to first believe without proof. See, our struggle with belief makes us spiritually arrogant. It makes us skeptical. But after realizing how fragile he is and how uncertain life can be and how it can come crashing down at any point, no matter how strong he is, he was strong. No doubt he probably had military experience. He was, he was a jailer, man. He was probably not a weak guy. He was a tough dude, but he couldn't stop the world from crashing down around him. Now that he realized that he couldn't stand against a sovereign and almighty God, he said, what do I need to do? He cowered in fear and he cowered in reverence before God, understanding he's my only hope. I will believe. So the question this morning we have to ask ourselves is, do I struggle with belief? In what areas of my life am I struggling to believe? And I'm not just asking someone who's lost. I'm asking those of us who know we're saved. We've we've we, we've believed him for eternity, but we can't believe him for the present. So we stress and we wring our hands over how things are going to turn out in our country, or how things are going to turn out in our family, or how things are going to turn out in my marriage, or at my job. When the Bible says, "If you can trust me to take you to heaven when life is over, why can't you trust me for tomorrow? Or why can't you trust me for today?" The jailer had to come to a point where there was no life worth living before he understood how to finally live it. I hope it doesn't come to that for us. See, we'll never find true security unless we have faith and trust that leads beyond our own abilities. The second thing, I said we would move quickly, is my search for safety must then lead to Jesus. My belief, it's wonderful to have belief, but I've got to have belief in the right place and that is in Jesus Christ. He says, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. As I said, belief is the key that unlocks the door. As you open the door, you see who's standing there waiting for you, and it's Jesus Christ. Just like he said in Revelation, he says, I stand at the door and I knock. And if you will let me come in, I will have fellowship with you. You have to believe enough to open the door. And when you open the door, you see Jesus standing there. Our belief must lead to Jesus Christ. Paul tells the jailer that he must believe in the Lord Jesus. Jesus would have to become the one who the jailer trusted for security and safety in a dangerous world. And it's significant that Paul says, believe in the Lord Jesus. Because he's talking to a Gentile, he's talking to a Roman authority figure. And when you especially were in the military in any kind of governmental position, you had to possess or you had to pledge your fealty and your absolute loyalty to the Roman government and to the emperor. The Caesar at this time almost had a had a godlike status. And so his greatest provision and his greatest faith should have rested, and he said would rest in the Roman government and everything that Rome provided. Here what Paul is telling him is you've got to stop trusting in Rome and trust in Jesus. And for him, that meant a lot. For us, that may not mean a lot, but for him, it means a lot. You got to stop trusting in all this other stuff because for him to stop trusting in that meant he might have to walk away from some things. That he might have to, you know, change his way of living a little bit. My search for safety must lead to Jesus Christ. Paul uses the formal title, the Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord, that word means Kyrios, which means supreme and sovereign authority. And Jesus is the implied name and position of Christ as the Messiah. The jailer who is under rule and employ of the Roman government, this meant a lot for him. For us, it means that we got to let go of the Lord of our lives in order to grab hold of the Lord who gave you life. The question is, what is your Lord right now? Which Lord are we serving? And the question for us as we get ready to go into a community is, what Lord are they serving? What Lord will it be hard for them to turn from to say, I trust the Lord Jesus instead of the Lord of fill in the blank? This is why so many people stumble over the Christian faith because it's so exclusive in its focus. A lot of people say, why does it just have to be Jesus? Why can't there be many paths to heaven? There's a lot of different religions. We live in a land where we have the freedom of religion and we're free to have a diversity of religion. And a lot of people tell me, a lot of times they say, it seems to me that any road could lead to heaven. And how can you only believe that Jesus is the only one to trust in? You're right. There's a lot of options out there to believe in. There's a lot of religions. Did you realize that there is even and has tax-exempt status a religion of Star Wars? The church of Star Wars exists. There's religions for everything. The problem is that if you follow Jesus and you believe in Jesus and you accept him as your Lord, you have to also accept what the Lord said. And he said in John chapter 14, verse 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father but by me. In Acts chapter 4, verse number 12, it says, There is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men, whereby we must be saved. So if we're going to preach Jesus, we need to preach everything he said. If we're going to trust Jesus, we need to trust everything that he said too. And he said, when it comes to saviors, a lot of options, but I'm the only one who delivers. I'm the only one to follow. And for many people that sounds bigoted, that sounds restrictive, that sounds exclusivistic, and it will sound hateful. It's the most loving thing to proclaim the words of a Savior who loved us enough to go to the cross because all of the other options out there that many people are chasing after, they're chasing after them because they're an elusive God. Jesus is the only God who was not elusive. He said, I'll come find you. You don't need to come find me. I'll come find you. I'm coming to seek and to save the lost. He calls us to a point of decision to believe in him as the only way. And Jesus, to me, has proven himself as the only one that I could follow. He's proven himself to me so many times. I can't even begin. We would would run out of days if I wanted to go over the times that he's proven himself. But most importantly for me, he's proven to me that he lives. There's no way Jesus can be dead. There's no way Jesus can just be a figure because I've seen him work too many times today. And because he lives, I can face tomorrow. And because he lives, I've seen the evidence of his work in my life and in my family and in this church. I see God working. I just hope and pray that a community around us see God working as well. So the question is, have you placed your true faith and confidence in him? And then lastly, as we close, my search for safety will only be satisfied by salvation. It's not just enough to believe. It's not just enough to know that Jesus is the one to believe in. You must desire his salvation. I must call upon him to be saved. The Bible tells us to call upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and we will be saved. He says in verse number 31, Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your entire household. After seeing the need to believe and seeing that his faith must be in Jesus, Paul tells the jailer what will happen when he does that. He will then be saved. And then he said the promise would hold true for his entire family. His whole household would be saved as well. But what would he be saved from? The jailer would be saved from the fear of man, from the fear of death, and the fear of a dangerous world. Does that mean that nothing bad would ever happen to him? No. Again, Jesus promises safety. He doesn't promise continuous comfort. Read the book of Acts and you'll see that that is true. He promises safety. He doesn't promise continuous comfort. Salvation means that our souls are eternally safe in the arms of Jesus. That when this fallen world takes its toll, in one way or another, our bodies wear out or the, the, the brokenness of this world wears us out, we are safe in the arms of Jesus to live with him forever. See, throughout history, people have suffered for their beliefs. Every, every believer has suffered in some way for their belief. I mean, Paul, the man who's speaking right here, would eventually be in prison several more times, would be beaten and scarred and broken and bruised and battered so many more times before he's finally martyred for preaching the cross or for preaching the gospel. Even today in many parts of the world, Christians are losing their lives. We just saw through social media that a man in, in the Middle East was executed for his Christian faith just this weekend. What makes me ashamed is when I think of the fact that most American Christians who are free to share our faith choose not to. It really puts things in perspective, doesn't it? And I don't say that as a guilt trip to you, that's the guilt trip I feel. Throughout history, people have suffered in spite of their belief. There was a man back in the 1800s who lived in Chicago. His name was Horatio Spafford. I'm just gonna close with this story and we'll be done. Horatio Spafford was a successful lawyer and businessman in Chicago. Uh, in the late 1800s, and he was a friend of D.L. Moody, who was a great evangelistic preacher there in Chicago. Spafford was just, I mean, sitting on top of the world. He was working in, uh, in a great city. He was seeing a lot of things begin to blossom in his life. He had a beautiful wife. He had a wonderful son. And the first time his world came crashing down on him was when his four-year-old son lost his life tragically to an illness that no one expected to see coming. And the grief that they felt was astronomical. His wife and him eventually went on and God blessed them with three more daughters. But it never replaced the loss of his one son. But then in 1870s, something happened in Chicago, the Great Chicago Fire, that basically left Horatio Spafford destitute. When the Chicago fire spread through it, it destroyed all of the property that Horatio had come to invest in because that's where all of his money and his assets were and he lost all of them because there was no such thing as fire insurance back in those days. And so he was left to try to literally rebuild from the ash heap that was there. The fire happened right before Moody was going over to England uh, to begin an evangelistic crusade throughout England. And so he and his family had decided that they would go along and assist him um, in the ministry. But because of some zoning issues, Spafford had to stay back and he didn't get on the ship to go over uh, to meet Moody, but he sent his wife and his daughters on so that they could go ahead and get set up and he would be behind them in the next couple of days on a ship because they wanted to get over there and help out while he stayed and handled some last-minute business. As he was about to board his ship to go over and meet his family, he received word through the news that the ship that his family was on had been completely destroyed and lost at sea after hitting, another, after hitting another ship in the middle of the sea. He didn't know what had happened, so he waited a little longer and he finally received a telegram from his wife that basically all it said was, saved alone. His wife had survived, but his three daughters had died and perished there in the ocean. So his world had now crashed down, not once, not twice, but three times. Losing his son, losing everything he had worked for, and now losing his daughters. And his wife, now inconsolable, on another continent, divided by the Atlantic Ocean. And the only way for him to get to her was to get on a ship and sail to her as fast as possible. And while he was on that ship, and as he began to sail over the spot where the ship went down, that his daughters were on, and he realized it was no longer the Atlantic Ocean. It was the graveyard of his precious daughters. He pulled out a pen, and he began to pen these words. When peace, like a river, attendeth my way. When sorrows, like sea, billows roll. Whatever my lot, thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. So Satan should buffet and though trials should come, let this blessed assurance control that Christ has regarded my helpless estate and he has shed his own blood for my soul. And then he penned these words, and Lord, haste the day when my face shall be sight. The clouds shall be rolled back as a scroll. The trump shall resound and the Lord shall descend. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, O my soul. We know it a little better as it is well. With my soul, it is well, it is well with my soul. A man who had his world crash down three more, three times in his life. A modern day Job could sit there above the resting place of his three daughters And write words with such confidence, yet such sorrow. Such uncomfortable confidence and peace. Why? Because he knew the security that Paul and Silas knew. He had confidence that he would one day see his daughters again. He had confidence that in Jesus he was safe. And he had confidence that the greatest thing that he could do in life was to continue to tell others about him. He went on to help D.L. Moody there and the crusades that went on there he and his wife had other children which again doesn't replace somehow through the sorrow the sorrow and the sadness they found some joy and stability in this world but they only found it in Christ whatever you try to find joy in if it's outside of Jesus you're going to fail As we bow our heads and close our eyes this morning, we go to a time of invitation. I ask you this. Do you know Christ? Is it well with your soul? Whatever may fall, is it well with your soul? Is it well with your soul? If it's not, today is the day of salvation. If you don't know Christ as your Savior, the Bible says, call upon him. Just like Paul and Silas said, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Trust Him. Does that mean that harm doesn't come? No. Does that mean you're not going to have questions about why God allows certain harm to come? No, it doesn't. I have questions. Just because I'm a preacher doesn't mean I never question God. I question Him all the time. But what I know is He's promised that I'm safe and secure. Do I still struggle with that? Absolutely. But believe that Jesus is there. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you Will be saved. If you don't know Christ and you would like to talk about that, you have questions, email us at gracewaylex at gmail.com if you're watching virtually. Thank you for listening today. At Graceway, our strongest desire is to glorify Christ by telling everyone about His grace. If you have questions or are in need of spiritual help, please reach out to us by visiting www.gracewaylex.org and click on the Contact Us section. Or you can email us at gracewaylex@gmail.com. at gmail.com. Our worship services are held each Sunday at 1030 a.m. We'd love to worship with you this week. Until next time, take care and walk in the way of grace.